Daily DVR Dives into Mindhunter is presented by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Man, Cufflinks.com just got in a bunch of new Disney stuff just in time for their Disney sale. Use code Disney30 at Cufflinks.com slash DVR and save 30% off all Disney products. They've got new Aladdin stuff. They just got in some new Black Panther stuff. This is high quality awesome handcrafted jewelry you're gonna love it they've got socks they've got cufflinks all types of awesome stuff head to cufflinks.com slash dvr today and use code disney30 and remember you can always use code dvr20 and save 20 percent off your order at any time no minimum thank you cufflinks cufflinks.com baby go over there Welcome to Daily DVR, does mine hunter, baby. My name is Axel, and my co-host, of course, is the wonderful, amazing, beautiful guest star on a recent episode of Snowfall, Heath Sentazo. You can find out more about us at DVRpodcast.com, and also consider supporting us and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash DVR. You can also send your feedback to dvrpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to be talking about Mindhunter Season 1, Episode 1. There are no titles for these episodes. They are only Episode 1, 2, and all that. Uh, so let's get to it. Solo, what's up, buddy? Ah, oh, feeling great. I mean, I had a hostage negotiation go wrong, you know, met some girl <laughs> at a bar, you know, tuna, you know, uh, been eating a lot of tuna lately and uh yeah you know people like to smoke on airplanes a lot which is frustrating but other than that full I'm uh, you know doing fantastic that's good man i know it's been a rough life for you out there <laughs> day, baby you get you get beat up on snowfall and tossed into an office yeah i mean it, it happens you know but you recover quickly the body can recover quickly you know yeah that's true well listen i should say if you have not heard us before, Heath and I have been podcasting together for about 10 years. We started on Lost. We do podcasts Winterfell, Westworld Theorycast. We did True Detective. And now we're here as part of the DVR podcast to bring you Mindhunter. Season 2 is premiering on Netflix, but we don't know when you're going to listen to this. So we're taking it episode by episode from the beginning. We're not going to spoil. We're just going to talk about the episode and the ones previous. So if you're new to Mindhunter and you're coming to this two years later and you and they just released episode, uh, season three, well, guess what? You can start with us and go all the way through because originally solo, we were just going to do like a quick season one, but we just, this show is just too amazing. Yeah, you know, and I I was thinking of that too. I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about season one, go all over the map. But then you brought up the great idea. Let's, you know, you, we don't know when people are going to watch these episodes um, because they all come out and people are on their own schedule. So it's perfect to just take our time, go through each episode. So if, like you said, if, if people start watching, they're like, man, I would love to hear someone talk about it. Boom, you can jump on the DVR podcast, does Mindhunter, and just go episode by episode at your leisure. And it's kind of fun when you watch an episode, you're like, man, what the heck just happened? And then you go and listen, and it's like, oh, okay. Or you get ideas, you can still send us emails, because we're always podcasting, and if you're two years late, 
send us an email about Mindhunter, and we'll uh, we'll we'll do a special feedback episode or something. You know, there's plenty of things <laughs> we can do. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. It's a new thing. We've always done shows as they air, um, and or gone back and just done a season. So this is really kind of new to us and. Um, I do want to give a shout out to the Double P Podcast Network and Bubba and his sister or mother or maybe brother, I'm not sure, who covers Dark with him on Netflix. And they did this and it and I watched Dark and then I listened to the show and I was like, hey, this really works. Solo and I got to do this. So we're doing it and we're doing it about a show that is... Really, because of weird, I think it was when it was released, when the Emmys were, other things that were released at the time, people kind of slept on Mindhunter. But in my mind, this is one of the top shows that's being made today. Yeah, I remember when we do, at the end of the year, we always do our top 10 favorite films uh, or uh, favorite TV shows um, of the year. In that year, 2017, Mindhunter was number one for me. And I remember, like, you know, you had people that watched it, but then a lot of people, I'm like, oh, no, I wanted to watch that. It's in my queue. I'm like, oh, you got to watch it. I just, I was hooked instantly. Uh, I loved the whole serial killer thing and uh, the FBI, and this is the birth of profiling. And uh, it, it was just, I was just in. I was in right away. And I just loved the characters. And um, so I just try to also share it. So, it might be, you're right, Axel, it, 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 a lot of people maybe didn't see it when it first came out, but now with the new season coming out, people are like, oh, there's another season? So I have a feeling it's going to gain some steam um, as the new season comes out. So uh, hopefully the audience will get bigger because it's a, an amazing show. Yeah, I, I think so. I hope so, and I think so because I really do feel – that this rates among the Better Call Saul's Game of Thrones great shows that are on TV. Now, I, you and I were both huge fans of Holt McElhaney because we loved his FX show right. that he did, which I'm looking up right now. I can never remember the name of that. Lights show. Out? Lights Out? Lights Out, yes. Lights we Out Leary or whatever is, is that his name? <laughs> yes, you're yeah. right. Patrick Lights Leary. Uh, and that was 2011, and we wow. were huge fans of that show. I st man, I feel like going back and rewatching that show. You know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever watched the finale. Really, something I, happened. I, I heard it got canceled. I think. Yeah. And I, I don't think so. I like was saving it, and then who knows what happened? Um, there's a lot of shows I have to go back and finish. Uh, so, but yeah, I would like, uh, yeah, I would like to do that sometime. I like that. I like that show. That was a great show, and I was a huge fan of Jonathan Groff. Uh, my wife and I were huge fans of Looking on HBO, and he plays a totally different character on Looking. I mean, you couldn't get any different from these two characters, and it just goes to show what a great actor he is. And I know that he has a background in theater, um, and I believe that he was involved... What, some original, yes, the original production of Spring Awakening, which really brought him to prominence. And he, most of his background 
uh, was theater, and he did a, a, a small role on Boss on Stars, if you remember that, with um, Chelsea Grammer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he was the lead character, Patrick, on Looking. So when I heard that he... Oh, he was also in Glee. That got him pretty famous, uh. too, among the kids. Uh, and he, oh, he's the voice of Kristoff in Frozen. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's... I mean, he is really quite an actor. And just what perfect casting for this. So right away for me, and then you put it on top of it, um, that this is a David Fincher production, and he basically put this thing together and directs four of the first ten episodes. I was like, "This is a this is really going to be a great show," and it delivers in every single way possible. Yeah, man. You know, because I didn't know anything about because all the shows that you mentioned that Jonathan was in, I hadn't seen. Um, but right off the bat, it he, he reminds me of. Henry Cavill or Cavill really? with with uh, with with better acting. <laughs> I mean, I, I I like Henry Cavill. Don't get me wrong, but he has that. Like, I, cause I when I was rewatching, I'm like, man, he could have played Superman, and I think he he would have been more. He could have shown some more emotion. But anyway, I was just like thinking of that. But he's kind of like reminds me of him a little bit. But he's just he's remarkable. And watching it the second time, and I don't know, just following his dialogue, following his mannerisms, following him more closely, I understood his character a hell of a lot more this time around. And I was just blown away. I mean, the performances in this show are just absolutely fantastic. They're they're perfect. They're perfect. And they remind you of 1977. It's just, everyone fits in this time. They've done a great job at really acclimating their characters and the direction uh, formulates such the time. You don't feel like it's modern actors in, you know, trying to be act in the past. It really feels like they're a product of 1977. Yeah, definitely. It's and it's so it is. It's very seamless. It's not one of those. Sometimes when there is a period piece you can spend a lot of time on the details um, or as meaning that the production focuses the audience's attention on those details. For instance, stranger things, right? Which kind of goes out of its way to put things in there to remind you this is 85 or 83 or whatever it is with mine Hunter. It just exists in that time. And it's so seamless that you don't even notice it. There are certain times when I'm watching where I have to remind myself that they're at that time because it just so they seem so alive in the present moment in their acting that they are not playing caricatures of people who would act like they were in 1977, you know? Right. And especially when you're dealing with so much of the sexual um uh, and cultural and, and like it, they get into ethnic and race racism and stuff like that. They still just kind of barrel right ahead. And I think it's really owed to the two leads because man, these guys, I would have to estimate in 10 hours that at least two and a half to three hours is just 
those two talking to each other. Right. Yeah. Right. Like so much of the show. Yeah, and like another few hours of interviewing, and then yeah. you know. But you know, one thing you know, you mentioned about it being seamless, and it's it the fact too that their their tape recorder is you know actual tape, and that just brings you like, oh, that's right, you can't just throw an iPhone down and record, and then so it's just like that those little things, and then the the constant smoking and just the the sets of the drab walls or just, you know, the basic, even uh, um, just how they're dressed and stuff. So it, it, it really, the details are really there. And it's just, uh, I just get thrown back into that time. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. man, it's cool. It's, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. All right. So let me give us a little introduction and some background. And then we'll dive into episode one. And this is just on the overall series because... Mindhunter, uh, obviously an American crime thriller web television series created by Joe Penhall based on the true crime book Mindhunter inside the FBI's elite serial crime unit written by John E. Douglas and Mark Allshaker. And you are listening or reading that, right? I am. I'm I, I, I'm a book reader. I'm a Mindhunter book reader, Axel. <laughs> so, I, you know, you can't... <laughs> Yeah, I'm about you know I'm about seven chapters in, um, but yeah, no, I decided because I like to listen to a lot of true crime pods and different things, especially when I go to sleep or before I go to sleep. And I was like, you know what? Let me see if the audio book is available, and it was. And I was like, you know what? This is actually something that I would love to listen to, and I was hooked. It's really good, and it's funny watching the show. And then now uh, listening to the book, or I'll just say reading the book, but I'm listening, um, like I listen to you every night. Um, the the uh, it, it, it's it, it's cool because there's a lot of things in the show from the book, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's it's really when I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then you start putting the pieces together, and you know what stuff they've changed, how they've because mm-hmm. like with yeah. the book. Um, there's certain things John Douglas did in real life, but they switched it with the two. So, like, the uh, Bill Tench and Holden Ford characters are almost a little bit of both. And they're, yes, and, that's what I've heard. Yeah. And, you know, some of the other characters, but, like, certain things that Holden does in the show, like, uh, you know, he'll do one thing. He'll talk about one thing. Actually, you know, it was it was someone else or vice versa. So that that's kind of neat, but they keep it. Uh, in there so yeah no i'm enjoying that doing that now that i've caught up you know that i've uh rewatched the first season with the second season coming up uh it's interesting because it really um is a great companion and it's not one of those oh they didn't do this in the show it's it's pretty much dead on so it's pretty cool and and i remember listening to a couple of interviews when mindhunter originally premiered and i finished watching the first season um, back in October of 2017 when it first premiered, October 13th, it premiered on Netflix. Uh, And they were saying, too, that almost all of the personal stuff is made up. Right. None of that. Their families, the relationship with Debbie, um, you know, any type of interpersonal stuff that you see when, when, when either of them are angry at each other for a personal reason is 
dramatic. And they were the cool thing is that in the interview, someone said, like, does it bother you that they gave you this, you know, like a girlfriend or whatever? And they're like, why would that bother me? My wife knows that I married her. (laughs) He was so facts. You know what I mean? Like, right. He, it was just, it was so interesting because he, he was a man and I can't remember, I think it's, I think one of them passed away, right? Um, I think only one of them is alive right now. So I think it was John Douglas that I heard the interview with. Yeah, he's still around. He just actually, uh, did an interview with, uh, uh, um, uh, Wondery, uh, Payne Lindsay there, okay. uh, who covered Atlanta monster, uh, and on that podcast, and he actually about that case interviews John Douglas. Like it just came out like a week or two ago. Uh, oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I loved listening to him. Just really, uh, really yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and he's guy. so he so separates like that. Did you know? Like there is no if something is not real, it's not real. He doesn't worry about it. You right. know what I mean? Like that was what he was saying. Is like, look, my whole life. I had to study people who can't tell their thoughts from reality, mm-hmm. right? Their impulse from reality. So he's trained to be able to tell the difference. So when they change things for dramatic purposes, he was like, of course they have to. That's a TV show. Why would anyone <laughs> yeah. think this is real? This is not. This is only a dramatic representation of what happened. And I think that that is something that's really interesting because in the time from when uh, this premiered until now, I mean, our politics and our culture changes so rapidly that the interesting thing about this show is it has such an intellectual bend that it has been very resistant to a lot of the um, controversies that you think it might bring up based on what's going on with our world with me too or anything else that you see that this deals a lot with sexual violence you know i mean it basically is all about men who hurt women right right that's like what the whole show is about and it because it has such an intellectual bend to it the and the way it was it's just so it's it's just a classy show i don't know any other way to say it that it deals with the subjects with such respect and reverence that it never takes the easy way out. Mm-hmm. And you can see that that comes from him. Do you know what I mean? Like from the bottom to the top, this is a show of people who believe in what they're making. And it really is a show overall that is about human connection and making and tr- and people who are who want to make people healthier who want to make people get along with each other even though on the surface of course we spend all our time with violent terrible people it really is a show that's trying to understand it so we can break these cycles yeah and and you see how they're not like superhero agents that don't get affected by all this terrible stuff they're investigating. It's you see the humanity and how it affects someone and their family life. And it, and it doesn't do it over the top. It just, you see it gradually happening and and it's just, it, it hits you in a way that's just, wow, it just feels so real. And it's though 
like you said, you know, certain things like relationships are added that aren't in the book or didn't happen. But, you know, you need that for a show. It, it adds so much um, seeing that. But, I mean, you see these, especially these two characters, they just, what they're going through and how it affects them. And over time, uh, it's just remarkable. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and the way they... Also, the difference between the characters. Right. So let's jump yeah. in. Yeah, man. let's jump in, buddy. Let's jump in. So basically, we start off with the titles alone. I love how they take up the whole screen, right? Um, they're just they're, – they're, they're a hallmark and kind of a trademark of everywhere we go. So we start off in Brodick, Pennsylvania, and we're immediately introduced to Holden – in a hostage situation in which a guy has taken a woman hostage, again, setting the stage for the entire series being about men abusing and killing women. Um, but in this case, he asks for his wife. It goes wrong. He ends up killing himself in front of everyone and the woman. Um, and Holden is kind of taken a few steps back and they don't really explain much. The next time we see him, he's teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And and we see it's a little time later. We don't know exactly how much longer it is. But right away, we see that we're starting off with a guy who has suffered a setback. Yeah. And, and, and I like, I mean, that first scene caught me by surprise because, I mean, I heard what Mindhunter was about. But when I watched the first episode... After that first scene, the guy blows his head. You're like, oh, my God, this show's going to be nuts. But then, it, you know, it slows down. But it does it in the right way because, like you said, he, he's taking a setback. He's trying to find what the hell he wants to do in the FBI and what what his next move is. And, um, you know, he's enjoying teaching, but at the same time, he's really into the behavioral part of you know, possibly preventing these or finding killers before uh, they commit crimes and, and trying to get into the psychology of these unsubs. And it just, so you're like blown away. That first scene, I mean, literally blown away, did not expect that. Um, but, but I love the part when he's like, when they, when the locals, you know, getting his wife and he's like, no, 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 don't bring the wife. Like you could tell, okay, he's got some, he's got some experience. He's young. But he, he he seems to know what he's doing. And then when it goes wrong, you're like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Because everything always seems to go right in certain situations, you know. But it was like this went totally wrong. Um, yeah. It could have got it's worse, inter- but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because it's a cold open and every episode starts with a cold open. The difference being that after this episode, it's a different sort of cold open, and we're trying not, we don't want to spoil what comes ahead, but we'll get to it when we get to episode two, and it's very interesting. It's five minutes long, and you're right. He, he, right off the bat, he has a more humanistic or, and, and also intellectual approach yes. to what's happening. He's not reacting as a cop. To okay, we've got a guy, we've got a crazy guy with a gun. He's thinking to himself, why is the guy there? What's his motivation for for kidnapping the woman? Why does he want to see his wife? He's immediately trying to break it down um, 
at, which is and, and talk about the behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. the criminality. And uh, like you said, it goes it goes bad. And then we get the opening credits, which we should mention is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Love the opening credits and the music th- too is absolutely amazing in this show. Oh. Haunting, sparse, um, and just very, very filmic, right? Like this is shot and produced all the way through very much like it's a film. Right. 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 They're taking their time. This is very, this is definitely the uh, golden age of TV happening here, people. <laughs> right. Amazing. And Fincher is just great, man, because the, the, the direction, um, in just, even in the first scene, he is such a masterful director. He follows through on every shot. It's so dark and the color palette is amazing. It's just really, he knocks you off your socks right to start out. I like being knocked off my socks. I do too, man. Yeah. So we get back Holden's now in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is he's he's back teaching. Um, we, we kind of just we get a lot of shots in this show, and it starts right out from the beginning of people doing mundane things, putting their jacket on, walking down a hallway, pu- walking in the house, and putting their briefcase down. Right, mm-hmm. like their little behaviors that they do, that they do all the time, that become their signatures, you know. And it's so refreshing because it it, it almost goes back to a simpler time. No one has a cell phone. No one's on their cell phone coming into yeah. their home. I mean, you literally come home. You you know, you like you said, you put your briefcase down. Maybe pour yourself a drink. Maybe turn on the tube or talk to your wife or um, whatever. It, you know, you're not distracted by technology, and it just it you have more time to think <laughs> instead of Definitely. people thinking for you. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch this video on YouTube. Oh, and, you know, and it's just like it's just it's more of a different pace in life, and you're more aware of maybe the nature. And, oh, it's a little cold today. Or, oh, what's that? Oh, the neighbors are putting in petunias. You know, I can smell yeah. it. You know, you know what I mean? Just like, I don't know why I brought that one up. But it's it just like the simple things in life that we don't, t- we don't notice anymore because we're glued to our damn phones. You know? And it, and it also reflects that these are the small details that hold in and bill are going to be looking at yes right yep. that the small details that make you a person what what kind of why do you oh when you get out when you walk out of your bedroom in the morning why do you tend to turn a little left first or so you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like and is yeah. that gonna make you susceptible towards this behavior it's just breaking everything down to a minute pedantic detail and the cinematography and the way that it's directed reflects that throughout the entire series. And it starts out in the very beginning when we just basically get two minutes of Holden walking into his very sparse apartment, uh, which is totally not decorated like him is just like an assembly line suit guy. 
And uh, he just stands there. He looks kind of upset. Then he leaves. He picks up his briefcase. He closes the door. And then he just waits outside the office. Like these little things where you'd think it would just cut right to he's in the office, right? And Shepard, his boss, is telling him what his new assignment is. No, we get a full two or three minutes of him preparing, waiting, and then going. And it's those type of details are the ones that they're going to be picking up on. And I love, right off the bat, I thought Shepard, he's fantastic. Man. He's so they, good. They, what great casting here. Um, th- his name is Cotter Smith, right? Isn't that his name? Let's see. Yes, Cotter Smith. He is a great actor. He he never quite looks directly at the person for too long. Do you notice that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. He's always kind of like looks at them, says something, and then looks off or looks out the window. Um, yeah. And he just basically lays it out, which is that that Holden is really talented. They consider it to be a what we saw in the beginning. Holden and considers to be a great failure. But the FBI considers it to be a success because the only person that died was the criminal. Right, right. And that just shows you how his mind works, Holden's mind works. He's, yeah. You know, you know, and, you know, he's just, he's teaching these classes and he's adding new techniques, but he could tell he just wants to be doing something else, you know, as much as he's, you know, a decent teacher, but it's just funny how his mind works and the students just work uh, they're on different levels and because the, the like that one student just is all about firearms and it's like well we just you know why do we have guns i mean we should use them and he's like no 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 you gotta you know get into what this person's thinking and why they're doing this and it, it, you know it's funny and then uh when his boss comes around and he's just like huh what's this because when they have the uh the jive talking uh when they, when they're role-playing and, and you know which is new and and they start he goes he goes you know they start interacting and and talking jive it's like you know in 2019 you're like what the heck but then it's just so different and, and weird but at the same time it's advanced because you're not going to just role play simply you know white guy white guy you, you know i understand where it, it makes it more interesting if you're playing different characters because then you get a feel, because on the street is different than in a classroom. So it's just interesting, but you can tell Holden is just, he, he's stuck a little bit. Yeah. And he's just, just really wants to branch out and do more. And, uh, and, and the pilot episode does a great job of getting all this information in. I mean, because there's a lot that is covered here, but it's done, it's not boring, it's, not, it's done at the right pace. And we get a lot in this episode, and and by the end of the episode, we get to a certain point where it's like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. Um, Because, you know, after the first scene, you might think, oh, it starts to, you know, go back, but that's the character. He's stuck, and he's taken a step back, like you said. So it's just, it's just thematically, the episode works really well, and it goes to where this character is going. Taking a little break from my discussion with Heath to remind you to go to cufflinks.com. Use code Disney30 now until August 20th and get 20, uh, 
20, get 30% off your order. I have to correct myself. It's even better than I thought. 30% off your order on new, amazing Disney products. They've always got them over there. They've got Disney. They've got all the other Disney stuff too. Marvel, Star Wars, man, cufflinks.com is the place to be. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Yeah, it doesn't take too long. They roll out the character that he has this this perceived defeat that the FBI doesn't think it's a a defeat, right? He holds himself up to a higher level. Mm -hmm. And um, we see him, like you're saying, he teaches, he quickly meets Debbie, and he's being challenged. You're absolutely right, Solo. Like, he's just not, he's not happy. He goes forward, he goes back, he goes forward, he goes back. And it seems like the time when we're hitting him right now which is that he walks into a class, he meets Debbie and he walks into a class taught by Peter Rothman, who is another, who is a traveling teacher. Um, and he's visiting, uh, this is uh, the FBI base, which they don't call, it's not called Quantico in this, is it? Or yeah, what is it that? is. I, is it Quantico? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. I always get, I know, I think you know these things better than I do. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, okay, that's so, one word. <laughs> you know, you've played bad guys and good guys, so you you know this world more than me. <laughs> um, but uh, um, he, he happens upon this class taught by Peter Rothman, and in the back we see Bill Tench. Oh, I, I still haven't noticed that. I didn't yes. notice he was in there. Oh, man. I, yep. I've seen this Holding pilot like 18 times. around the corner. Yeah, it's about – we're about 10 minutes because I'm actually scrolling along with the episode as, and my notes as we talk. This helps us out. And Holden teaches kind of a little class. Um, and then he looks around the corner after teaching his class where exactly like you're talking about, he's getting weird – He's getting kind of like a little bit of a pushback. He can tell that the the people that the young students he's teaching are basically taught like bad guy, get them. You know, right. like how do we subdue the bad guy? Not how do we understand the bad guy? And he sees the class being taught tenches in the background. And this class is exactly about that. They're talking, he's, Rathman is talking about Son of Sam. And how to understand the mindset behind it. He approaches him. He says, I want to talk to you. They go to a bar and they have this conversation, which basically changes Holden's life. And then right seconds after that, (laughs) he meets Debbie. Which changes his life in a way too, you know? Exactly. So this... The show, you're right, like it takes such a, like almost like a laconic, like slow, he's just talking to people, he's talking to this person, it's all twofers as they say, right, Solo, like two people in the shot, Mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, within the first 15 minutes of this show, 20 minutes, his entire life is changed, Yeah. right? Yeah. He's gone from from feeling as though... No, no one understands that he feels like he failed. He's frustrated that Shepard, his boss, 
is saying to him, no, you did good, man. Like, but we, but you know, they can tell he's kind of shaken. So they want him to teach for a little while, you know? Right. Yeah. And and like kind of settled down, but that's because of him, not because of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So it's like, they've profiled him in a sense. It's so layered. And then by meeting Rothman and opening up his mind, it's like invigorates him. And Wendy, too, invigorates a side of him because the weird thing about Holden is he's this is 1977. This is the punk rock disco era, you know, like post 60s. And he is basically like a man trapped in like 1952. Right. I was going to say 1953, but yeah, 52. (laughs) No, you're right. Because I mean, just like when, when Debbie mentions like, you know, he sticks out as a fed or or something because of the suits and stuff. And and he's like, really? Like he just doesn't get it. It's like, he looks like Mr. Rogers and you know, as a G man. And it's just, he sticks out like a sore thumb, but I love how, I mean, the two of them, Debbie and Holden, are so different. And they have this, like, Aaron Sorkin-written type of um, dialogue, this whole scene. Which, when I was thinking, I'm like, that must have been the audition scene for the role of Debbie. Because it just, to see if she could hit, you know, the actresses could hit those points. But it's just, like, back and forth. And we, now, were you thrown back by that dialogue? Or does, did it work for you at first? Um, I, it was something to get used to because the, for the first 15 or so minutes, the show is so straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ev- they, these guys say what they mean when they say it, right? There's no, yeah. and, and then Debbie and him engage in this kind of meet cute and their rapid fire speaking at each other but it's in that all that intellectual jargon and she's throwing out all the guys she's reading and the theories but it's totally flirting and aggressive it's really i found it really to be captivating and i i can remember when um when I was watching it with Perry, my wife, when we first watched it, I was I was like kind of joking with her. And I was like, that reminds me of when we met, honey, um, which was not at all. We were like, hi, how are you? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nice hair. It was it was a little dramatic and theatrical, but because of the the location when they move and they they start going to that weird party, you know. I just felt I was captivated by it. It was very of the times. I felt, yeah, and and, and it, it like you said, it's like intellectual flirting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just. I mean, I like that type of. I'm a big Sorkin fan, and that's how he writes a lot. And um, and I just I I, I like that. I could see where it is jarring at first, but you know, you think Fincher's Social Network, Sorkin wrote Social Network. I mean, he didn't write this but it just it, so i i felt yeah i just felt like solo. i i was yeah. into it like it you know i could see where some people might be like man this is a little weird but it it symbolizes though uh, you know in the him meeting debbie and someone who's challenging him and it just fits with their relationship um yeah. it, it really does it's almost like he's adapting to her and so it just, it, for me, it just works because you need 
some separation between investigating crimes, teaching, uh, arguments with your boss, and then a, a new woman you meet that you might start dating or that you have interest in. And it really reflects, you know, her personality and what she's studying and everything. So it just, for me, it worked very well. And I kind of liked it. And I love the fact they put subtitles because the, the band from Detroit are playing so loud <laughs> and they threw subtitles in. Dude, and I'm like, that's great. That is, man, if there's one person who really, Fincher is such a master of, 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 realizing that sound is part of the multi-dimensional environment of film so often directors leave leave out sound and think that that's something that comes later instead of working it into the plot or the scene itself right and i can only imagine that the, when they were on set because when you hear it see they this is it seems like they recorded this live. Yeah, it really does. So On purpose, so their voice... Well, they can change it later, we both know. But it sounds like they actually went to the lengths to do that in a naturalistic way. And I thought it was great. And yeah, their conversation is not only important towards them, and it's such a great... Just kind of like... I call it a meet-cute, but it's kind of like a, a serial killer meet-cute or something. But they start... They lay down basically the idea of the entire show in that conversation when she's talking about Durkheim and about deviancy. And I'm looking at it now. And she says the important lines of he's they're having like real intellectual discussion about what Durkheim is. And Durkheim says all forms of deviancy are simply a challenge to the normalized repressiveness of the state. He says he's an anarchist. She says, no, he was the first person to suggest that if there's something wrong with our society, then criminality is a response to that. And that is kind of the basis of what Holden and Bill and later Wendy come to try to understand, which is that they don't just want to try to figure out why people commit sequence or serial killings right mm -hmm. they want to try to figure out are is our society creating those people right right what in our life what in america at that time or what in the progression of our history as a society has led us to have a specified type of murderer like this or is it something that exists and we are just now recognizing it? Yeah, I, I tell you though, if I, if I was in college and uh, I started to, and uh, I was hitting on a girl and she brought up Durkheim, I'd be like, uh, "You want to go get some shots?" <laughs> I wouldn't know what the hell to say. I'd be like, "But uh, yeah, no, it, it, it as much as distracting as a viewer that exchange can be. It, it, if you just take a step back and even rewatch it a couple of times. It's very important. And it just, ah, oh, I just loved it because we don't see that a lot. I mean, I mean, I guess in, you know, movies and stuff, you'll see people talking in a bar, but like you said, with the sound, they filter it out where the viewer can hear it clearly. This yeah. is so real. It's just them talking over a band and just, you know, and, and that honestly, I, I don't know how many, 
conversations I've had in my life like that, where it's just loud and you're just talking and you're buzzed and you you're just going back and forth and you know who knows if you remember the conversation at times, but but it just was so interesting to me. And it's I think for a director, it says a lot that for a series that is about uncovering obscured emotions and memories and truth that the basically the basis of the entire series is rolled out in a place that is so loud that they can barely hear each other and it has to be in subtitles to the viewer (laughs) right there there's a thematic message being sent there and that's why that's what makes david fincher a master you know, it's not just that he's like, you know, ha- is kind of dark and all that, you know, and the, the angles are great, but it's that he takes into account all of your senses and, and what you're experiencing as you're watching it. And it's not too soon after that Holden has another relative relevatory experience in the theater watching Dog Day Afternoon, right? which plays a hugely important part. In this, not only this episode that he sees this with Wendy, um, but throughout the entire series, because it hits upon all of these taboo subjects that you think a guy, FBI, Mr. 1950s would run away from, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, a man holding a bank, uh, doing a bank heist to pay for his lover's sex change operation. Yeah, which, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just love that. And then, you know, how they go over it. Like, you know, I was amazed is when he's in class, you know, showing the clips. And I'm like, how did he get a copy of a movie that's in the theaters now? <laughs> Solo, that's so smart. I didn't even think of that. Well, it is the FBI, man. That's what, yeah, that's why I figured. I'm like, oh, they, they could probably get a copy. You know, but it's but it shows also how awesome how like he just he is a totally open to the experience of learning, and no matter what gets thrown his way, no matter if it's uncomfortable, uneasy, something he doesn't understand or he should feel embarrassed about, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's remarkable because what I love about the uh, Holden character is. Yeah, I mean, he looks, yeah, like you said, 1950s G-Man, uptight, blah, blah. But he's so open to learning, and he's open to new ideas. And that's what makes him, uh, I think, an exceptional character because he wants to grow and understand, and he wants to learn from anything he can. And, you know, a simple film, like, has diff- different things. It's like, oh, man, you know? It, it's just yeah. like, it, it's just from all over. So, uh I, I love that. That's why I think, you know, on this journey of of what's going on, I, I, I was, like, hooked in. I'm like, I like this guy. It's yeah. totally different than any person I've ever met and and probably seen. Uh, but I'm just, like, I'm so interested in him and learning with him. It's almost like you're, you're with him on this journey. And whether you agree with him or not at times, I just felt... Like I said before, we had talked about Mindhunter, I, I believe, on the film list or uh, DVR pod, where I was like so into the show that I shaved and parted my hair like him 
for a couple of days because I was just like, I don't know, I was just so into Getting the into character. the role, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like, well, what the heck? But I just yeah, his so- ability to just suck it all in and act as like a mirror or which we see is troubling too, though, right? That right. that can cause problems within him. But you're right, Solo. He sees the movie. He starts implementing different role playing. He he um he wants to try to do different types, uh, teach in new and different ways. He goes off and 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 for a little while he starts taking classes, yeah. right at the local university, and uh, he even approaches the professor about that. But he's he's pushed away because again, he doesn't realize social etiquette. He, he doesn't realize that he's a G man in a liberal university. And that even talking to a professor is make throw suspicion on the professor because to hold in, he's just like, wait a sec. What, why are you attaching yourself to all that BS? I'm trying to, be an intellectual and learn something here. Like let all of that go. But part of his lesson is understanding that that is part of it all. Yeah. And right. Like he, you can't, you can't deny all that social stuff. Right. And, and I have a question. I don't want to jump ahead because this, the thing I'm going to ask is, it's going to get more interesting as the series goes on. But I was trying to figure out like, is he is he just that way? Is he possibly autistic? Because you know when he's jogging and then the the guns go off, a loud bomb goes off, and he covers his ears, and everyone yeah. else does well, it. I think that yeah, that's that's um, I think that more was more supposed to be a throwback to the first scene. Right. The guy oh, okay. Shoots himself. Yeah. Oh, I don't okay. Think, yeah, I don't think that he exhibits any. Um, I mean, I think that he exhibits some tendencies that would th- be would all people who fall within the spectrum would also exhibit. And I'm no scientist or I'm no doctor, I should say. You are. Um, but I, I, I don't know that that it goes that deep. But I mean, he does remind me I have to I mean. I've hung out with a lot of people. My wife is a research scientist. I can talk about anything. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it takes, there is a certain type. And when you find certain doctors, scientists who deal with a lot of things like the life or death situations. And also when you talk to cops about certain things there, it's more of a compartmentalizing. Okay. Yeah. Like he's learned to compartmentalize and he, this is his job. So when he goes home, he's at home. He doesn't bring it with him. But as you see, and as we see in the series, with all series like this, they always bring it home. Yeah, you and know? and it, just because he's so young, I mean, he's twenty nine, yes. and he's able I to do that. Part of it. That's yeah. what that's what threw me off a little bit. But I'm, you know, yeah. so I'm just trying to figure out. But you're right. I just, you know, and then I was thinking because I was thinking some of his the way he reacts to people. Like, it reminded me of the character on the bridge. That's why I bring that up. Oh yes, you're you're right. You know what I mean? Okay. Just some tendencies yes. there, and um, so like the way he answers, like there's sometimes when Bill will say something, he goes, "You're right, Bill. You're right," and he he leaves it at there. Like he does that a lot, where he'll 
where most of us probably, I don't know what the percentage is, but we're, we're having a discussion or, or a slight argument. And a lot of times people don't like, you're right. You know what? That, that makes sense. Um, I do that a lot with my wife. It, it, it actually helps. Um, but, but it's like, instead of like continuing the conversation and going deeper and getting more frustrated, he's just like, yep, you're right. And, and it's not in a condescending way. It's just he, I don't know, but there's like, no more conversation after that. So I just, it, it was, I, I was probably reading into it a little more, but I was just like, is, is something with him? But, um, well, I think, no, I don't think that you're wrong. I think that that's part of understanding the show too, is that human behavior lies on a very long spectrum. And there are people who live with their emotions and that is what, pushes them right Mm -hmm. that's the that's their justification for doing things uh, intellectually as well as they just naturally find the impetus from from that place inside themselves and holden is an intellectual right he has divorced himself in many ways from his emotions and what this first pilot episode is in many ways an awakening of that, both in his personal life with Debbie and in his professional life by coming into uh, by coming into contact with Rothman. And then later, as we see, it doesn't take too long for Shepard and others to notice that Holden has a propensity for trying to really push to understand criminal criminality and behaviorism so tench comes up to him as we see and offers him the opportunity um as head of behavioral science unit to teach classes around the country sharing fbi techniques with the local law enforcement but also learning from them and trying to forward the science so I think that there's an unspoken thing that was going on here, which is that like you, Solo, Shepard kind of noticed that about Holden, that he has a certain personality type. Mm-hmm. And you're right in, in you know, who knows they're writing the, when they're writing this character, they may sometimes describe him and are in our common parlance. We do kind of say it's, you know, people are on the autistic spectrum in some way, but that's also very new to us. It's only in the past 20 to 25 years that our science has expanded more. I mean, this is the real world, right? Right. But um, that we've even said that. So I think you're right though, that Holden is a, a unique individual, right? Like we can put it that way. His way of looking at the world and his way of processing the world is uniquely suited for this type of endeavor. Oh, that's perfect. And I'm they sold. recognize that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Shepard and Tench and, and, and Rathman, they all recognize that. And that's why he's also right away, I think, Shepard, Tench, everyone always gives him a little bit of room on the leash. You know what I'm saying? Like... They do let him wander. They do let. They do give him uh, the opportunity to make mistakes. Because the thing about Holden too is he's so amazing that when he makes a mistake, 
he immediately, he, 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 and in the, here we see he like owns up to it. You know, he's not attaching himself to the idea that he has to be something, even though he has, um, he, he has an idea of who he wants to be, right? Cause he always wants to be perfect, but he's very good at, like you're saying, he'll say he did something wrong or he'll disagree. And then the conversation's just over. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> like he just, yeah, he, go, he moves ahead. Yeah. And, and it's amazing too, when they're um, doing the road school for the first time and he kind of gets into the Holden way of thinking and he yeah. doesn't know his audience and he yep. kind of, everyone's like, what, you know, you know, he's trying to, you know, talk about Charlie Manson and how, you know, his, how his mother treated him and how it might yeah, have affected just too much. And everyone's like, what? You know, I'd kill him. If, if Manson was right here, I'd shoot him now. You know, and it's yeah. just, and, and Bill does a good way. Like, listen, you know, find out who's like the one guy that knew people that worked on the case and was, you know, was getting frustrated with Holden. And um, it, it just, it, it, but it was a learning thing for him. But I, I love, I love Bill Tench's reactions when Holden starts talking and start going a different way and he's just like oh here we go <laughs> like it's just like i mean they're just kind of met each other but he kind of you know he under he's starting to understand holding a little bit and it's just like oh boy okay i got my work cut out for me it's amazing yeah this this first trip to fairfield iowa um where is our first opportunity to see tench and holden what this job really is because at first I didn't really understand what are they going to do oh and I say oh okay so they basically kind of do a presentation similar to what Rothman was doing right right right. and there which is what Holden Sawn was so interested in but you can see the difference even in levels of like at Quantico the people were kind of curious but they were open because they were in an educational setting right but this is a bunch of guys who were brought in after hours, probably not on their shift, to have a bunch of FBI guys, a bunch of feds, right, who don't know their area, come here and talk to them and tell them how to get the criminals, right? Mm-hmm. And tell them that they – because the point is – and we see this in society, right? Like in order to understand something, you have to be empathetic and open to it. And they don't want to be empathetic towards a criminal. Correct. They don't want to see, they don't want to think about Charles Manson had a tough childhood. They're like tough childhood. Screw him. He made the choice to kill people. Yeah. You know, but then Tench has such a good way of saying, well, you're right. He's a total scumbag, but in order to catch him, We've got to at least consider that. Yeah. That doesn't mean we can't kill him when we catch it. You <laughs> yeah, know, like yeah. Tench kind of, but whereas Holden is just totally like, no, we must understand. When did he first have a sexual impulse towards this? You know? Did he and wet his like, bed? Yeah. He was 11. And, exactly. Know? And it goes to the therapy thing where they, you know, they they start thinking about that. And they're like, well, we're going to have to talk. If we're talking about his emotions, how long is it going to be until we have to talk about mine? Right. And, right? I, and that's where the fear comes. Yeah. And I love the fact that they really can't, they can't just throw themselves in a local case. They have to be asked. I get, you know, yes. and, and, yep. and, and, and the fact that like, you know, Holden's talking about that, you know, a lot of guys will come up after and, you know, try to get, 
feedback or some help with a certain case. And then they, they, you know, and it's just interesting. And then, you know, they're, you know, having a drink. And then that old time, uh, former LAPD officer comes and it's like, uh oh. And it's like, he actually apologizes. And he's like, sorry, I didn't mean to offend, you know. Yeah. And then they start talking about this new case that they're having trouble with. And you can see their eyes light up. I mean, Holden and Bill just love, like, they're, like, as you'll see in the series, they, I mean, when this is their thing, when they're investigating and trying to figure stuff out, it's just great to see the evolution of them trying to build a profile and try to figure it out. But it doesn't go the way you think, right, Axel? At the end yeah, of the it... <laughs> <laughs> That's right, baby. It never does, does it, Solo? No. And it I, never uh, does. And I love, you're right. This scene is great because, and it's the little touches, and that's what makes this whole series amazing. Um, every small character that appears is fully realized. And right away, you know who this this guy is. The casting is amazing. Oh, I know. And they, you're right. They think he's going to be angry. Holden is kind of preparing for it. You know, Tench is like, all right, I'll take care of it. But then he sits down and tells this story that ends up with Holden like almost crying. And that's the thing about that Holden too, is we talk about he's so unemotional, everything, but he has that childlike wonder that it's the other thing we talk about where he's always like one step forward two. he's like thrown back and forth between that intellect and that emotion and he seems to either gravitate towards one or the other without kind of realizing that he has to, those worlds have to meet. And they're right off the bat, like it almost in tears um, when they're talking about this disgusting case of this woman who was brutally sodomized with a broom in front of her mm. son. And then the same was done to the son. Um, but then the weird thing is that the cop then gets angry that they can't immediately solve it. Yeah. You know, like they were villainized when they were in the police station, but because of the way Holden was so confident in what he was saying, the cop actually kind of ended up feeling like, oh, this guy's amazing. He'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a weird dichotomy, man, and it really says a lot about the emotions of that police officer that we saw, and he was really so sad and affected by what happened to this woman. It wasn't just like, hey, we got a juicy case for you. Right. You know, it was very emotional. Yeah, and it affected the whole town. It affected the police officers, and they were just dumbfounded because they just can't figure out who the hell did this? And like you said, when Holden, so you, you figure the way this episode's going, it's like, oh, okay, Holden's going to figure it out. This is going to be awesome. And then he just walks away. He's like, sorry, we can't help you. And you're like, what the heck? And that, and yeah. it, again, it's off balance, but it makes sense that he was a bit overwhelmed. He didn't want to just give something false out there just to make it sound good. And he just, he tensed up and, and just kind of like, okay, oh, we got to go. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And it just really sets, uh, you know, sets the course for what we're about to, um, 
do with going on the, with this journey and how, you know, it's not going to be that simple, but with experience and over some time and, and, and back and forth that they're going to be able to figure this out, hopefully. Yeah. And it's really interesting, the little conversation they have with the police officer, because he actually says to them, how fucking dare you? Yeah. Like, how dare you come in here and talk about and then you can't solve the case and you can't help me. And you're right. That really lays down the fire or starts the fire inside Tench and Holden that if they're going around the country doing this and the the emotion and the depth of just like desire for help that they're fight that they find in this guy it must have been something that tench had experienced before and that's why i felt at the end of the, when i first watched this pilot episode i was just like okay the journey begins in rewatching it i felt like Shepard was really the mastermind of this. Like I felt like they knew kind of where this was headed and that Holden was the man to help Tench with this and that this is not as um, what appears to us as a natural thing within the course of this episode. Oh, he had a bad experience. He went and taught. He saw a movie. He saw a guy teaching. They, th- He tried to implement it. They said, why don't you teach? Then they start teaching. Oh, now they're going to do cases. I feel like in the same way that Holden or Tench would come to a case and find it as though it was naturally occurred and have to dissect it. When I dissect this episode, I feel like this was a totally a setup. Like they, th- this was the plan from the beginning, and this is kind of what Tench was aiming for, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, it, and that's a great point, Axel. That as much as Shepard is by the book, old school FBI. If you have to honestly almost rewatch and, and, and analyze to be like, you know what? It yeah, it does feel like a set. Like there, he knew. Holden was meant for this, but he had to do yeah. it in such a way because he said a lot of these things are frowned upon with the FBI, yes, this whole behavioral exactly. thing. So he almost had to back channel it. And, yep. and, and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to see that. I, I had an inclination of that, but then when you brought it up and kind of brought it to the forefront, I'm like, oh, yeah, now I'm seeing it. Because I was like, man, he was so eager to help him at this point, but he was pushing him to – and it worked. And yeah, so the whole yeah. Shepherd thing, you're right. And now I'm thinking ahead, <laughs> which I can't say anything, but other things are come in like, oh my God, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I do think so. I, I, and this is, and, and right, we're not spoiling the show for anyone who wants to listen to us as we're going along. Um, but I felt upon watching this that this is not something that's ever given out, given away uh, within this season. But like, when I deconstructed this, it's all a little too convenient. And I think you're like you said, it's a it's a it's a question of methodology. Mm-hmm. Shepard has been around, so he knows the way the gears work. And so he it's this slowly comes into focus 
and this is what happens. And we end up at the end of this episode, we now have a man who Holden that started out the episode with what he felt was a great personal failure now on the road to making historic change and really delving into these areas. And one other thing I wanted to mention is the subtlety in which they bring up um, aspects of sequence serial killers that we take for granted Mm -hmm. that were so new back then, which is when the cop is asking again and again, he asked Holden and Tench, why would this person sodomize the mom and do this in front of the kid? I watched them walk home from church. She was like, why would someone do this? Like, that's really what he wants to know. And one of the things that Tench explains to him is that they think they've, they're understanding that certain people are sexually gratified by this act. Right. That there is a sexual gratification that occurs within the act of murder. And the cop is almost like, huh? You know, because yeah. that was, even in 77, that was something that was not... People just wanted to think, no, they're bad. Yeah, they're right? born this way. Is yeah. their big thing. They're born this way, and that yeah. was the big. That's the big thing. It's like, or they got knocked on the head. Their brains wrong. Yeah, right. Like something they don't. There's not. They don't want to delve any deeper. And the fact that Tench, who in many ways, and I think we'll talk more about him when we talk about episode two, he straddles that line, and. Um, the way that he will just come out and say these things to them. Well, we're working on this. And the way Holden says it is, well, he's doing it because of this, right? Like he states it, but Tench knows how to kind of finagle it. And as they drive off to end the episode, we get the shot of them just sitting in the car in a great, and I mean, it's, I can't go on and on about the cinematography, but all the shots of them in the car are like iconic. And, just what a great pilot episode, man. I mean, so much happens and it establishes the whole series. Yeah, and and one of the big things I got from it too, it's not like why did they do these kinds why this way? And yes, you know, and true. that yep. I mean, I felt like I was in the class with Bill Tench. I'm like, yeah, Bill. <laughs> I just get all excited, <laughs> but it just this pilot is just packed full of stuff and it it just it 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 made me can't wait for the next episode. Can't go. So yeah. it's just a oh, great episode. It. Great episode. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. That is us. That's us for episode one of season one of mine Hunter. We will be back with episode two very shortly. We appreciate you listening. You can go to dvrpodcast.com. Find out more about us covering all types of stuff. And if you like solo and I, we did true detective podcast, Winterfell law. Oh, so much stuff. Just go and check it out, baby. All right, Solo, I'll let you take us out. All right, buddy. Well, it was a great episode, and thanks for listening. And, Axel, I'm thinking maybe next time we talk, we could talk about Oswald as Oedipus. Sounds good, baby. Peace out. Peace. (laughs) All right. Dude, that was great. 